0: This is T.D.P.S.
1: Eric! Yes, Christopher? Are you sick of doing promos for my new books yet?
0: That depends.
1: Are we at the beach? Yes, we're at Sapphire Cove, the fictional Southern California resort featured in my new gay romance series coming in 2022. This is alarming. When did we go outside? You were transported by the powerful prose of C. Travis Rice. That's my new pen name devoted to steamy and emotional tales of romance between men.
0: Yeah, no, that's not it. I was about to eat a sandwich in the studio and now I'm being harassed by seagulls.
1: Brandon, get rid of the seagulls, please. Oh, that's much better. Now I have to pee. First, pre-order your copy of Sapphire Sunset, the first installment in the Sapphire Cove series, which goes on sale March 1st, 2022, from Blue Box Press when a new member of the resort security department falls hard for the nephew of the wealthy family that owns the place, sparks fly, and sexy scandal ensues at Sapphire Cove. Uh, Yeah, could you pre-order that for me? I'm going to run to the little podcaster's room.
0: Brandon, come get this seagull.
1: I can't help it if my writing Uh, sets the uh, scene.
0: I know what I'm going to set if someone doesn't come get this seagull. Where'd you get that sandwich?
1: Sapphire Sunset, the first book in the Sapphire Cove series from C. Travis Rice. Now available for pre-order. Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. <laughs> ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad. Christopher Rice. I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. <laughs> and we, I was talking some shit to Eric Shaw Quinn before we started or the show. We're trying to. It's
0: really, I, I, you have to go
1: some to get me to actually react in a big way. <laughs> your biggest reactions are to bad table manners, um, straight washing, which is something we're going to talk yes, about today on the show. really
0: not crazy about that.
1: And um, what else? What are your other big reactions? People being
0: deliberately mean to other people. Yeah, it's not I think that yeah. That really, really upsets me. Yeah. I go I go hot button a lot faster on that than almost anything else.
1: Tell the story about what you had to do when you got to the Harry Potter with the old woman who was being really mean to Harry Potter and I can't remember I'm not a Harry Potter fan, oh, so yeah. Go with it, Quinn. I
0: you know, I I think I think correct me, I can't remember which I did, but I think what I did was During those last two movies, Mm -hmm. because they divided the last book, The Deathly Hallows, up into two movies, Mm -hmm. I kept having to go read the end of the book so that I could know how it turned out because it upset me so much Mm -hmm. that the the woman was being so mean to Harry. Right, yes. wrote on the back of his hand like the, oh my god there was just yeah there yeah. was cruelty in that that was it was hard
1: yes exactly. it was hard for me to
0: take and I knew how it turned out and so I just needed to check back in Mm-hmm. and see it all, yes, yes, this is how it ends up.
1: Yeah. My favorite Harry Potter story, which is about me, so everybody drink, um, was I went to the third movie in the theater with a, God, I, this boy was so cute. I was so into this boy. It was a total date. And so I thought I'd be funny. I hadn't seen either of the previous two movies. Right as the lights went down and right as the Warner Brothers logo popped up on the screen, I leaned over and I said, could you tell me what other what happened in the other two movies? <laughs> And his eyebrows went up on his head. He was like, "I'm just like, I'm just kidding, just kidding." Uh, he did not. He was not interested in me. That so that joke probably is what did it.
0: Yeah, that's. I think that's the thing. That's, that's
1: what did. It. That's the thing. My sense of humor was lacking. That could possibly be it. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what we're doing with all this small talk. I mean, we have real things to we talk have, about. We have a. We have well. I was going to say a dinner party show
0: first, but we haven't done the dinner party show actually for a number of years. That's true. We kind of are always doing the dinner party show. Really,
1: we live the dinner party show
0: deep in deep in the heart of every of us. There's always a dinner party raging (laughs) somewhere. A
1: raging dinner party deep in our
0: hearts. Um, Yeah. So uh, yeah, we had this experience. Unexpectedly.
1: Really unexpectedly. Okay, I'll get into it, because it was something that I discovered. And usually Eric is doing the discovering around here. Uh, We watched a show called... uh, Actually, we watched a show... I can't remember what the original show was. I remember the case. It was the murder of Henry Diaz in Miami. And what the first episode made clear was that he had been shot... Uh, outside of a, a gay adult and bookstore. Which episode of ours is it? It was episode 84 of our podcast. We presented an t- episode of a show called "A Time to Kill." That was it, and the episode title was "A Miami Murder Mystery," and the story was Henry Diaz was a closeted married man. He was married to a woman, but he was secretly gay, and he was murdered while he was out trolling for sex at a hookup spot in Miami, Be- somewhere in Miami or Miami Beach. We. You had questions about whether or not the wife and the family basically stopped cooperating with the cops once it was revealed. The way they presented it, the
0: family just, once they revealed that he was murdered by, he got rolled. Right. He was out trying to hook up with some guy and he got rolled and killed for, I guess, his wallet. It was terrible. Um, And uh, they revealed this to the family who did not know that the husband was gay and— then the family was not a part of the rest of the story. We hadn't actually met the family. We'd only seen them in recreation anyway. Right. But they were just gone from the story after that point. And we had had questions about, did the family really just sort of turn their backs on the whole thing?
1: So then... So then I said, well, I'm aware that another series, which we had done another episode of once, called The Perfect Murder, had covered this same case. So I said, I'll go and I'll watch that episode and we'll see what they say about the family's involvement. And in that episode, oh my God, Henry Diaz was outside at a straight strip club. Um, they presented through a reenactor um, a prosecuting attorney uh, making a completely alternate version that he was at this club with women dancing on his lap, and this was how he was murdered. It was just like a television show had adapted it in scripted drama format and Based erased on his a sexuality, story, like, just yeah, completely, completely straightwashed the
0: entire story. Removed the entire thing of him being victimized for being gay, and moved it away from being really the hate crime that it ultimately it was. Because
1: right, what was clear in that first episode was that the killers thought if we rob this guy outside of a gay hookup spot, he's probably closeted. He'll probably he won't press charges. They w- that was apparently the story. They weren't intending to kill him, but they were intending to take advantage of his sexuality. And target someone that they thought was living a double life, or, or that was too ashamed of being gay to, to to pursue it with the police. And then Henry ends up murdered and shot dead. So that's completely gone from the perfect murder version. So you how said, do they wind up murdering him
0: in the perfect murder
1: version? Do they? It's it's he. They depict him as being standoffish with the robbers and basically getting shot, but I, th- I just sort of right there at the spot. But if I remember correctly. The 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 lurid hook, the promotional hook for the first episode, was that alligators were involved. Right. So they, killed they took him, him out and threw him right, in the alligator, dumped him in the Everglades, where the alligators ate the uh, really badly, savaged the body by the time it was found. Um, So I can't remember if the second episode or the first episode depicted him as resisting and being brought somewhere and then killed or killed right there on the spot. But that is sort of irrelevant. Yeah, they got
0: in the car with them and then they had him drive them somewhere and that's where... As I recall it.
1: Yeah. And there was not clear about how much sexual advances happened before the robbery threat and before the murder and how much sex might have happened. Yeah, like it was just it was this the, really that, gray well, we area. We only
0: had the words of the murderers for that part of exactly. the story. And so as they told it, nothing happened. They right. just got in the car and robbed him. but
1: Exactly. it was unclear. So you realized... That also in our library, we had done another episode of The Perfect Murder, which had done the straight washing job on Henry Diaz. And you said, we've got to check out that we weren't lied to. Right. If yeah, We've got
0: to find, see if we can find another version of this particular story, this particular murder mystery, and see how it scans with The, the Perfect Murder's depiction of this same crime. And we thought, well, that would be interesting. And then It sort of drifted out there on the ether and
1: then And then I said, Eric Quinn, it turns out Dateline, our favorite our
0: favorite
1: responsible for the thing about Pam, which I think is still going up on Peacock as we see. Absolutely. It's still
0: unfolding on Peacock. It's depending on when you listen to it, it's the which is the it's now the television serialization yes. starring Renee's Academy Award, multiple <laughs> Academy Award winner, Renee Zellweger, as the eponymous Pam. Pam Hupp. And who. Um... I, which this has now been a dateline. It's been two datelines and a podcast. And now it's actually a television series. It's really, it was one of those things. It is the only time I have ever. Called Christopher up and said, Christopher, have you seen The Thing About Pain? And I was
1: like, no, what is it? Because like, you have got to see And we covered it in episode six of our podcast. Um, That is the Dateline. It is the one that keeps on giving. It is just, it was
0: mind-blowing. Like, I love Dateline and it has its own special place in my heart. Like I always say, if I turn on the TV and Dateline is already on, I am powerless to turn it off. Right. No matter where it starts, I will watch until the end of that episode to find out what happens. Because I just, that's how, that's how it works for me. But this one was beyond. This is the most outrageous. It was the
1: first two hour dateline. Normally I don't like the two hour datelines. It was the first one where I was like every minute of this two hours was justified. I mean,
0: and it was just, the story just kept getting more outrageous. As it went along, I the next thing would happen. You would go, I cannot believe this. Yeah. it was. It's
1: insane. And this is when I pop in with my sort of, I like to talk about rules and where, you know, we're not getting any money f- to promote the thing about Pam. <laughs> or Dateline. <laughs> or Dateline. We just love them. Although I had a communication recently, from Dateline. Yes, that was really funny. Uh, we d- recently did an episode about their coverage of the murder of Maurizio Gucci, which was a pairing with our discussion of House of Gucci, with the Ridley Scott Lady Gaga movie. And I posted about it on my Instagram and Dateline sent fingers crossed as if they knew we were huge bitches and thought we were going to go all in on the episode which guess what we kind of did
0: and they didn't they also say uh-oh I think maybe they did. They said, "Uh oh."
1: I think they did. You're right. Hold on, I have to go look. I'm checking my Instagram right now. I'm checking. Right I was right. like, "Oh well, we have definitely
0: scored a particular place with with Dateline." If they they respond to our
1: covering one of their episodes with, "Uh oh." Let me say this: the Dateline is really good with their social media. Uh oh. Yes, fingers crossed. You're right. Yes.
0: That completely <laughs> cracked me up.
1: They have always been very kind to me at the Dateline social media department. I remember when we were doing our Save the Peacock campaign, um, they said uh, they they fussed at Amazon Fire and said, "Please get our peacock on our plat on your platform so that Christopher can have his Dateline." Right? Yeah, totally. Fair's fair. So that's a really long and way. They did. That's a really long way of saying that uh, Dateline had an episode about the same case that we had covered or that the perfect murder right. had covered. So
0: we had seen this this one, the the so here's the case, the situation. Yeah. The it's per- very we need red string per- and a board. Per- right, we do. And maybe cutouts from the newspaper. Um mm-hmm. a series of articles with words circled. Um no, it's not that complicated, but it's a little bit so there was an episode of the same show, The Perfect Murder. Mm-hmm that covered the crime that we had seen on A Time to Kill. Right. And they straightwashed the crime. And right. so we had already done an episode from The Perfect Murder
1: called Jump Shot. Jump Shot, which is episode 69 of our podcast. Different crime. So we're now talking about a different crime. This is not the straight crime. Right. Okay. It's a completely
0: different crime. And so we were curious to find out if, in fact, when The Perfect Murder did Jump Shot, if they completely... Re redid the crime right. if it was just loosely based on, inspired by a crime, um, yeah. as opposed to actually doing a based on story um, or the actual telling of the crime, a true crime story. Mm-hmm. Was it the truth or wasn't it? Because it's true crime that we're talking about. So I think if you're reporting on true crime, you have to talk about... The true crime. (laughs) Otherwise, it's made-up crime. (laughs) Not not your version of it. Fictionalized crime might be a great thing. I actually kind of write fictionalized crime, so no judgments, but that's not what true crime is. So is this a true crime show or not? Mm -hmm. And then Christopher found... A parallel episode on Dateline, so we decided that,
1: what are we calling this? True crime redo, but we're spelling it the French way, R-E-D-U-X, so really we should be saying true crime redux. Or
0: possibly Latin.
1: Oh, 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 is it (laughs)
0: Latin? Maybe Latin, Latin, maybe, well... French's, I'm going to go with Latin-French. French is Latinate, so I think they. I think it works for both. I think the French use it in that but,
1: one. One yeah. of these gentlemen graduated college, and the other one went off to be Anne Rice's Redux. son. Redux.
0: No, I think we've had this conversation before, and I think college didn't help. I think that's what we've <laughs> determined, because I think we thought it was French, and then we thought, looked, and it was like, maybe not.
1: Okay. Anyway, okay. so we're calling it True Crime Redux. It's the 934th branded episode type we've introduced on TDPS Presents right. Christopher and Eric.
0: By God, we're all about branding.
1: We're all about branding. So what we're going to do after that incredibly intricate in- explanation. I hope
0: that wasn't too confusing, <laughs> but this is this is something we've been talking about doing on the show for really since we made this discovery about yes. the straight washing. Um, on uh, the perfect murder, and yeah. we're v- we whether you are or not, we are actually very
1: excited about this. We're very excited, absolutely. All right, let's get into it. This is Dateline, and the episode is called Dark Valley. <laughs> So we're going to get into it here. Dateline Dark Valley, episode 47, season 6,234.
0: Season 25.
1: It's season 25. Also, word of warning, and this is maybe a reason to bring back our Save the Peacock campaign. This episode, as of this recording, was disappearing off Peacock in 20 days, I think they said. Did you get that little alert when you went to watch it? It's like, stop messing with the Datelines, people. Let us have unlimited- Dateline access. I think
0: all of the datelines should be posted on Peacock, and they should stop fucking around.
1: Stop fucking around. That's Eric's strategy for Peacock. All right. Uh, let's get into the story here. It's early May 2012, and we are in the San Fernando Valley, where so many Sorry. of the stories we cover happens. or oh, certainly the ones happen. that we gossip about at lunch. <laughs> Absolutely. Um a gentleman named Gavin Smith is supposed to pick up his son for school in Just the morning. point of reference, the
0: San Fernando Valley is like the other half of Los Angeles.
1: Yes, absolutely. Just
0: so in case you don't, you're not aware of that. Like, everybody's not from here, so, yeah, over the hill. There's a big hill right through the middle, and on this side where Christopher and I live is called the Basin, Uh huh. and then on the other side of the hill is the valley, and, and that the is Valley. technically the San Fernando the Valley. The
1: valley tried unsuccessfully to secede from Los Angeles many years ago when I first but moved here. But they can't get away from us. They can't get away from us. Anyway. We need that sweet. Sweet, sweet property tax money, and we're not letting them go. Not letting those property taxes go. All right, enough civic lessons from Eric Shaw Quinn. Sorry. Let's get back to a gentleman named Just Gavin didn't want Smith. To assume
0: that everybody knew where we lived.
1: Gavin Smith d- has not picked up his son for school in the morning. His wife, Lisa Smith, knows right away that something is wrong. This is unlike her husband. She claims her husband is a dedicated father. We will soon learn things that call that depiction into dispute but in this moment at the beginning of the stateline episode where they are working our feelings for all they're worth they're de- putting forward this picture of a marriage that is far more intact than it turns out well, to be.
0: Well, but I think that whatever happens he really was a dedicated father True, he was a dedicated father. I think he father. was very much there for those boys
1: We meet his sister Tara Adeo who is clearly um, mad about her brother, worships him thinks he's the greatest guy ever uh, we get more information. And she needs to moisturize. We add some more. <laughs> She really needs to moisturize. <laughs> Listen, I'm just saying. Dateline puts these people... This is the thing you learn if you compare these episodes. The makeup and hair that Dateline puts these people through is, like, institutional. It's unbelievable. They alter the appearances of people for the sake of their yeah. show. There's, like, a Dateline look. They want you to look like you just came from leading a garden club meeting, no matter what you've been through or what you've done. Yeah. Okay. We learn more about Gavin. He is six feet six inches tall. That's tall. Even taller than Christopher. Taller than me. I'm 6'3". Everybody drink. He played basketball for a legendary UCLA coach that we've never heard of because we're gay men who do not give a shit about college basketball. And this was also in 1975 <laughs> before Eric there, was born. There aren't gay... Oh,
0: 1975. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> before Jaws happened. That's well,
0: really all that really when matters. When Jaws happened.
1: 1975 was the year that Jaws was released. Don't mess with me about Jaws stuff. I know my Jaws. Oh, my God. I'm going to do a J- Jaws Appreciation podcast, if you don't watch out. So Gavin. Or even if I do. So Gavin was a legendary or worked for this legendary coach or played for him. Then he drifted, which is dateline code for it was a lot such of a, things.
0: Yes. His basketball days were so
1: legendary and important that he got a job as a golf caddy. And he got cast in some some movie roles, which because is he also was dateline code. Kind of a babe and six feet tall, but yeah. Yeah. And a thousand watt smile—the true definition of the word. What a smile this man had! He meets his wife Lisa when he's acting and waiting tables. They marry and have three sons. Um, She's waiting tables and he's acting. Oh, is that was that it? Oh. Yes. someone was taking notes too fast, uh, and it was his name was Christopher Rice. He gives up acting and he takes a job as an executive in distribution at Twentieth Century Fox which is now owned by Disney, but in this day and age, it was an independent powerhouse of a studio. Um, So we're back to that early May morning in 2012. Gavin's wife, Lisa, calls the Fox offices to find out if he's shown up for work. He hasn't, and that, she says, is a first in 18 years, that the man never didn't show up for work. She reports him missing to the Lost Hills Sheriff Station. They go on TV, they being the family, uh, to plead for help. The family also puts together a $20,000 reward. At this point, two sheriff's detectives are called in because even though he is just a missing person, the circumstances are suspicious. We are introduced to the detectives. Let me point out here that they are both male. Ty LeBay and John O'Brien, remember that for later. They put together a disturbing and suspicious portrait. Gavin's phone is missing and not being used. There have been no bank withdrawals on his account. There have been no hospital check-ins associated with his medical insurance. He has, simply put, dropped off the face of the earth. Then a sighting in one of my favorite places. Again, drink. I made it about me. Moro Bay, California, on the central coast uh, close to San Luis Obispo. Uh, somebody says, because at this point, Gavin's picture has been all over television because he's white. Um, <laughs> sorry, just wanted to drop that in there. Um, well, but, um, he, uh, Somebody says, we saw him here. He was here with a woman. He paid in cash because it's just the investigator's luck, a cash-only seafood restaurant. <laughs> the family gets their hopes up. The sister races up there. She shows them... Gavin's picture, and when they see the picture, they say, Oh, yeah, that's not him. So I don't know what happened between identifying him based off his news photo and then the photo from the sister, but it was just like, No, that's not the guy. Right. So hope dies. Months pass. Tara, the sister, accuses the wife, Lisa, of not searching aggressively enough, which I'm not really sure what the metric is for that. It's the gone girl metric. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're not performing, you're not having the
0: feelings in the way that I want you to demonstrate that you're having the feelings, and so I'm going to
1: accuse you of being guilty of this crime. Also, if you do the wrong karaoke, apparently. Oh, my God. That's a dateline that will live in infamy. That woman was convicted. I know. Yeah. Okay. But we'll get back
0: to that on a different day.
1: We have so many datelines in our head at all time. It's really hard to be us just for that reason. But this woman sang this song that they thought was incriminating, like at a yeah.
0: karaoke. That was one of the, they actually presented that as evidence.
1: The song was Earl's Gotta Die by the Dixie Chicks, which was, I think, about killing an abusive husband. And she was, she had been accused of killing an abusive husband. So that was evidence so that was presented at trial. That was, we were like, yeah,
0: I, I, karaoke is evidence? Anyway.
1: Anyway, so Tara makes this vague accusation, which sounds like Dateline sort of coaxed the accusation out of Tara, like like that reality television thing they do on Big Brother. Like, so do you think Susan's talking about you? Like, do you think Lisa's searching aggressively enough at this point? <laughs> um, but this marriage is not all that we've been led to believe that it has been. Um, Gavin, in fact, has a pretty serious substance abuse problem. He broke his back while working as a stuntman on Remington Steel, and he ended up in rehab for addiction to Oxycontin. Also, they were underwater on their mortgage and in danger of losing their house. He had been blowing through his six-figure salary and taking money out of his retirement fund, presumably not to spend on his wife and children. We don't know. A month before he disappeared, his son tweeted that Gavin had walked out on the family and asked for thoughts and prayers. Oh, also... Which a warning about having children and giving them a phone. <laughs> and letting them go on Twitter. <laughs> Kids, please don't tweet about parents' divorce. Um, also, Gavin had been cheating on his wife with a woman named Melanie. The cops talked to her, and she claims their relationship had ended, even though she was the reason he moved out of the house, which was the incident that prompted the tweet from his son. Oh, and there was also another woman that Gavin had cheated with, and her name was Chandy. And it turns out he called her the day before he vanished. Isn't that an interesting coincidence? The cops find Chandy, and she says, yes, we had an affair. Uh, We had broken off the affair some time ago, but we had been emailing periodically. Like you do. And that was it. With the people that you've broken up with. Nine months, and this is a part I'm going to ask our party people to remember fairly closely, because I think we're going to come back to it later. So nine months after Gavin disappears, Chandy's father gets in touch with the detectives, and he says to them, a woman named Raina Lynn, who was, get the red string in the wall, the bulletin board now, because it's going to get complicated. A woman named Raina Lynn, who was working as a caretaker for Chandy's grandmother... Who lived in the house with Chandy told Chandy's dad, I know something about what's going on. And he's like, What do you know? And she says, I know that they have been looking for Gavin's Mercedes, which went missing when Gavin went missing. It's a black Mercedes. I know where Gavin's Mercedes is. So the father goes to the cops with this information and they surprise Raina Lynn. The cops do. The cops' father. Exactly. And she says, um, okay, I wasn't really prepared for this, but come with me to this storage locker. And they're like, I'm sorry, storage locker? What the hell? She opens up this storage locker, which apparently she has a key to. The only thing in it is a black Mercedes with no plates. That's covered with blood. Blood. Even a right down to a bloody handprint on the passenger seat. Um, Raina says, I rented the storage unit for someone else. This is also a moment where I'm looking at the screen and I'm like, I need more details about this. Why is all of this getting really fuzzy? Like, how did who who did Raina, what? How did Raina, the caretaker, right? what? Like, what? How did this come to be? But we tilt away from this now and go back to uh, tracking uh, Chandy and Gavin's affair. It turns out they met when they were both in rehab. Lisa found out about the affair two years before Gavin vanished. Party people, please highlight these details as well, along with the Raina storage unit details, because we're going to get back to them. Um, And when Lisa found out about the affair, she and two of her sons went to Chandy's house to confront them. The sons went inside. Chandy was nowhere around, but her husband was. (laughs) And the wife didn't go inside.
0: It was just... Bad Parenting 101, just the worst. Everything is wrong with this choice. But this is what they tell the police actually happened. And he said that what they do find is the husband, and he is
1: not happy to hear about. And they claim that he threatens to kill Gavin. Keep in mind, this is like two years before Gavin went missing, this event, right? Like, it was a long time before he went missing. He threatens to kill Gavin. The sons leave the house crying, like boy, was that a bad and idea. And they were
0: like 21. It wasn't yeah. like they were little kids. This right. was these were grown-ish men. Yeah. So for them to leave the house crying, that it was quite an event.
1: So here we are 17 months later, and cell phone records are placing Chandy and Gavin's phone in the same place the same night Gavin called Chandy before Gavin disappeared. And this location was an isolated parking lot. And, oh, wait for it, John Creech's phone records reveal that he was in the same spot and his phone was moving in synchronization with Gavin's phone. When the cops interview him, John Creech denies ever having met Gavin. And then... A guy named Rocky Ramos is walking his dog Buddy on the edge of the Angeles National Forest in October 2014. And if you don't know, since Eric gave a geography lesson earlier, the Angeles National Forest is where all dead bodies in L.A. It's and the dump. official <laughs> dead body dump in, La- in Los Angeles. It's just, you've, oh, you've my God. you killed somebody.
0: You're trying not. I don't know why people. I, maybe it's only a small percentage of the get found, but the number of missing dead bodies that get found here, that get found in the Angeles National Forest, is substantial.
1: We are one of the only cities here that has what is, I think, from an ecological sense, it's called a wild fringe, that we're a, we're a vast metropolitan area that butts up against total, full-on wilderness.
0: The the, the mountains that divide the yeah. valley from the basin are actually kind of wilderness. Like, a yeah. lot of them actually are national... Are I don't know if state or national, they're parks. They're yeah. preserved park space and wild animals. Coyotes come down into the streets and
1: I think the deer pis- and raccoon. I had a- mountain lion and Silver Lake. We right? should be contacting our Silver Lake friends to see if they've seen the mountain lion. And we had a, I did, I had a cat and a possum. I think it was a possum. It may have been a Oh, everyone a has a cat. Get, and get into a, possum, a, fight get in a fight in the.
0: And it was one of the most terrifying sounds I've ever it's heard. It's unbelievable.
1: Anyway, yeah. anyway okay, but this has been your wildlife minute with Christopher and Eric. So, so the, we're back. Yeah,
0: it is a mo- there is surprising amounts of wilderness in right in Los Angeles.
1: So it's October 2014 now. The disappearance happened in 2012. A gentleman named Rocky Ramos is walking his dog buddy in the Angeles National Forest. The dog discovers a skull in a bush. Nearby, a shallow grave is discovered containing the rest of the remains. They are identified as Gavin's remains. Apparently the skull
0: got away from the rest of the remains. I thought that was an odd detail.
1: That's usually a sign that some other wildlife... Predation, they call it, yes.
0: They didn't mention that, but it was, yeah, it seemed odd to me that the skull and the body were no longer together.
1: That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the
0: car. Hi, I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and I'd like to take a moment to congratulate my co-host and producing partner, Christopher Rice. He's got not one, but four new books coming out in 2022.
1: Out of nowhere, it seems, because I think Dateline is usually a lot better at this, a girl named Lauren is introduced, who says she used to work in the pro shop of a powerhouse gym where John Creech used to be a member. Um, She says she had an affair with John, which was problematic because she was in high school. (laughs) Yeah.
0: it's like, what? So,
1: not
0: yeah. a good thing. Not a good look.
1: She was under the opinion that, or she was of the uh, belief given to her by John that he was separated from Chandy at the time. It's almost impossible in this story who was separated for how long and when, because everybody was separated at some point, all the married people. But she and says... And Chandy and John were
0: particularly... A, a mess. A mess. They were just a mess. These people were disaster on roller skates.
1: So... She identifies John as having had scrape marks on his hand at some point that implicates him in the crime, but this window of time was never properly identified to my satisfaction in the case. But this, this becomes a point of evidence that his hands were uh, fucked up, suggesting that he could have either been in a fight and also been involved in digging a shallow grave. John is in prison at this point on a drug charge. So when they go to him, because they're he's seeing him in- a huge cocaine dealer. I mean, huge, huge cocaine huge dealer. Huge cocaine
0: dealer. Like, the feds are involved. Yeah. Like, wow.
1: They show him a picture of the shallow grave in Angeles National Forest, and he gets up from the table and calls his attorney- That is his only response. Um, They also discover from John Creech's phone records that the night of what they now believe is a murder, uh, he made a frenzy of phone calls to close friends of his, which they say clearly he was looking for help covering up this murder. We're introduced to the prosecutor, Bobby Grace, who is a black man. Please remember that for later. (laughs) He's a black man. Um, He charges Creech with first-degree murder in January 2015. Uh, Creech pleads not guilty. Chandy at first won't talk, so they find an associate of John's and ask him to wear a wire in her presence, which... I, did she not assume anybody was going to show up wearing I mean, a watch? <laughs> this is part of the disaster on roller skates that I'm talking about. She
0: just says, do you want me to tell you exactly what happened? And whoever the weather says,
1: uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, sure, tell me all. Whatever, Chandy. And she just lays it all out. She went to meet Gavin in his parked car. They were getting it on in the car. John popped up out of nowhere, started wailing on Gavin. She spilled out of the car and ran for her car. She said she looked back and saw uh, he had Gavin pinned on the ground and was beating the shit out of him. At this point, I can't I couldn't quite figure out, did she drive away? Yes. Because she drove away, but she meets up with John later, and he's saying, you got to help me with this shit, and you got to drive me back there. So he claims he can take Gavin to the hospital. Nobody ever took Gavin to the hospital. Right, and,
0: but she won't get up close because she doesn't want to see.
1: She doesn't want to see. So
0: she drops him off, like, in the vicinity, but doesn't get right up close. Or at least that's
1: what she says. Right. Like, this part of the story... I want to put an asterisk on for what Uncle Eric really thinks. What Uncle Eric really thinks, yes. And and I'm highlighting stuff that will become relevant when we talk about the other coverage of this case that we saw on The Perfect Murder. Okay, two accomplices are interviewed and they agree to testify. They're not interviewed by Dateline. They're interviewed by the prosecution and they agree to testify. Jorge Villa um, says that he got rid of Gavin's cell phone on John's behalf and that he saw the body wrapped up in the back of John's car. Stan McQuay testifies that he let John Creech park Gavin's car in his garage with the body in it for five to six fucking days. Oh, my God. I was like, oh. Um, At this point, we get back to Raina, the caretaker because she alleges that John Creech convinced her to rent a van. At this point, nobody is making clear whether Raina knew a murder had taken place or she knew anything about Gavin being dead, but she rents a van on his behalf. He then drives that van up to the Angeles National Forest. Two men come and move the Mercedes to the storage unit, which we know that Raina also rented right. on John's behalf. So it sounds like Raina was used for rentals. And that at some point she found out that inside of the storage unit she had rented was this black car that everybody was looking for. But we're never really told that definitively. Right. Okay. And this is- it's a, very sketchy. So the detectives notice on that um, black Mercedes, the plates were missing, but one of the screws, the plate screws, was like halfway out. And sure enough- on that screw is John Creech's DNA and a fingerprint. I think it was both. I think they go back and forth. No. No. One, it was DNA. It was DNA and we'll, yeah. right exactly. Okay. Another note. Yeah, for later. Um so it goes to trial and because where would a fingerprint be on a screw? It's, anyway, we're going we'll, we'll get get to get there. It. We're going to get there. So I'm we're almost at the end of the dateline piece of all this. So okay, so um that it goes to trial, and amazingly, and, and against probably a lot of people's advice, John Creech agrees to testify on his behalf and shoots himself in the foot, in my opinion, by his story is that it was self-defense, that Gavin started the fight that he went up to their car just to see what was going on, that he had put a tracker on Chandy's phone to find out where she was because he was afraid she was drinking and driving, and that was the only reason he was following her. And oh, by the way, Gavin had a multi-purpose tool in his hand that he was trying to use to kill Gavin. Because to they were G- using it having sex. Apparently right.
0: it was a rabbit or something.
1: <laughs> exactly. No idea, but it was a, an iron a rabbit. A violet wand. Yeah. Um, and after... He kills Gavin in self-defense. He's so freaked out, he decides to take this tool that was the alleged murder weapon Gavin was going to use and throws it over his back fence just to get rid of it, and no one can find it.
0: Which doesn't mean that's in somebody else's yard. I mean, really.
1: Uh, It was so stupid. The jury deliberates for two days. They find him, and again... This was an important point and something to remember as we talk about the perfect murders version of this case. They find him not guilty of first degree murder, but guilty of voluntary manslaughter, which basically which means. Kind
0: of means his testifying on his own behalf did benefit him. Cause I guess. I yeah. think
1: that's what caused
0: that. He was able to create enough doubt about what had actually happened at the time of the murder that it didn't seem premeditated right. anymore. It was, in fact, and it, which is still terrible. They're still not okay with... No. He still went to jail, but. He's
1: sentenced to the max for manslaughter, which is 11 years, okay? But, oh, by the way, the district attorney in Detroit had indicted him on federal drug charges, so he's going to also be, I think, consecutively serving a sentence for another something like 15 years. So he's going to be in jail for a long time. But this is also important to remember... That the first degree murder charge, I think it hinged on the threat that John Creech allegedly made 17 months before when the Smith family showed up at his house to tell him that his wife had been having an affair with Gavin, that that testimony from the sons were supposed to indicate that this man had been planning this murder for two years, that it was premeditated. So in the end, the jury didn't really value that testimony, or they somehow valued John's testimony above all else. That's important to highlight because in the perfect murder coverage that we're about to discuss, that appears nowhere. Well, I think it established doubt,
0: which is what the jury, the jury can't decide based on, we think this evidence is, if there's doubt, then you can't. That so I think yeah. that's what it did I I don't know that they discounted the kids as much as they didn't see any of those things as proof of yeah of the final this is the asterisk part
1: okay you ta- I've been because running my mouth I, because to take I think over. this
0: applies to both versions yes and I think I said this the last time we did this particular case mm-hmm. I think that the description from Chandy and John and pretty much everybody else involved is Bullshit.
1: Okay, what do I you think, think
0: happened? I don't know what they were planning to do, but I think Chandy and John were about, John Creech were about getting Gavin to that place for some reason, some robbery reason or some other thing. Things went bad and it wound up, wound up being a murder. But the he just called me up out of the clear blue sky and I agreed to go have sex with him, mm-hmm. even though I was not... Uh, married to my husband at the sa-
1: at that time, but he was living with me and he was asleep on the couch. like all of that was like, but let's be clear about something. Living with her and asleep on the couch, wasn't that just something we saw in a reenactment on the perfect murder? Is that something we know to be the case? Because they said they were separated at the time of the murder. Like, so or were they th- even living together? He, he
0: was in jail. That they yeah. were, but the, the, I think that both of them said that they were still living together okay. and separated yeah. at the same time.
1: Right. Okay. Um,
0: I think Reyna was in—and he's a big drug dealer. Mm-hmm. So there's, like, a couple of levels happening there. Right. Like, how does he convince all of these friends and that nurse to be part of this mm-hmm. crime thing? Drugs. Right. They are his clients. Right. And he says, I'll tell people or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, there are elements to the story. The story was crafted. Right. Like, she just leaves. Yeah, and while he beats him to death. Like all yeah. of those things are it's that's just all very nonsensical to me. Like she may be she may be that may be a story they agreed to, or she may just be lying about that because she doesn't want to be included in the murder. Also, all of the the people, Reina, the two men from the gym and Chandy, none of them serve any time. Right. Because they're all they all got immunity mm-hmm. for uh for their testimony against him, so I think they were playing the system so that only one of them went down for the crime. I think the description of what happened at the murder, what they were doing there, because they never account for the fact that John was never not parallel with her, his phone, yeah, through the entire process. Right, yeah. He went with her to meet yeah. Gavin. Right. There was never a there was never a part where he lagged and got there later. He was. Always part of it, so there was some reason for them to
1: meet him and in the isolated parking lot. Like, if they're going to meet to hook up, get a motel room,
0: right? Why would they meet right. there to get like there's just no reason for that,
1: right? When they could get a
0: motel, like right. he's not some de- like, is it a drug sale? Is it a deal? I don't know what's Blackmail, going on. I, don't I know. have no idea what the plan was, but it was definitely not what they said it was. And the only people who whose word we have for any of this, are the murderer and his accomplices. Yes. And so I don't believe that story. And as the wife said at the end of the dateline, Gavin really got victimized twice. Yeah. First when he was murdered and then at trial because most of the people who were responsible for this, because this was by this point Five years later, the family had been through this for five fucking years while none of these people came forward or said anything. Mm -hmm. And then all of the stories seem very expedient. Yeah. For so that only one person goes to yeah, anyway. So that's so let, that's, I, the, that's
1: the Eric take. Uh, the Eric asterisks as as I think we should call it. And I, I agree with you because I think it also explains the speed which you pointed out that Shandy was willing to dump the entire false version of the story, which sounded like the real story, to somebody wearing a wire, because then it didn't look like she was initially exactly. cooperating, but she was giving the alternate version and she was cutting. John Luce, because he had gotten arrested and And was already in jail on a drug charge.
0: And because they were already a fucked up mess on roller skates. Yeah, and so she just was like, in that addled drug addict kind of way, anxious to tell the story that she's trying to sell people on. Let's talk about the perfect murder and version then, of it. And in the, case you weren't confused by what the
1: suspects and the murderers said, then we saw the, the perfect, perfect murder. Murderer. Which we now realize is basically a scripted drama show. They just make shit up. The detective was a, a man and a woman. When we've met the real detectives. The prosecutor was not a black man, which is why I was underlining that. They erased his race and replaced him with a white man who couldn't pronounce Angelese correctly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there was there was video at the restaurant in Mar Bay that proved that yeah. he wasn't the guy in the photograph that it wasn't the sister I don't think is even even mentioned, she's never even mentioned. Gavin is actually living with another woman at right. the time of the murder, but they're just
1: friends. They're just friends. I the was like, Is this the straight up spokes yeah.
0: aging spokesmodels? Say right. to for the benefit of the camera, apropos of nothing and based on nothing,
1: and she's not even mentioned in the dateline story at all. And the biggest omission is that there is no Raina. That the explanation of the storage unit, which is just total fiction, is this guy didn't pay his bill. And so the manager went in there and they show it through a reenactment. This guy goes in there and opens the storage unit. And oh, my God, here's a blood covered black Mercedes in here. I better call the police. That's not what fucking happened at all. There was a whole thing with a a potential accomplice that unfolded. They also build this whole case about Insider based basketball
0: trading, like oh, he's just bullshit. which yeah. was like, um, which n- there was no evidence of and which never happened. Yeah, um, they called Chandy the blonde haired vixen, Chandy, uh, exotic looking.
1: Yeah, she's like, This, yeah, like it's just really like this show is crap. Like... It's just unbelievable. They, yeah, they,
0: they say that they found a fingerprint on the screw, which I don't know how you get a fingerprint on a screw, um, and don't even mention the DNA that they found. Mm-hmm. And um, my favorite was at the very end, one of the spokesmodels says, so, if Creese had just gotten rid of that car, this would have been the perfect murder. Oh, Jesus And I God. was like, so... That's the way that your stories are going to be united. Yeah. You tell them how this could have been. The <laughs> how you could murder.
1: have done a better job of
0: murdering someone. Yeah, and my mind went to when they on Dateline when they told the story that one of the male detectives who were it was actually the police that they were interviewing. So these people were all bullshit. Mm-hmm. Everything that they did was bullshit, yeah. and it was all really bad acting too it was oh, not really terrible really terrible acting the 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 husband is painted as this complete saint there's no sense that he was ever cheating yeah that there was all of this sort of history they find out that he was a drug addict from a coworker at Fox mm-hmm. um who wants to talk to them. When they go in and talk to the boss, he says, yeah, I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. Then, but then the other co-worker wants to say that, yeah, we both went to meetings together. And he was, so it was probably drugs. Yeah. Which is how they find out about the wife doesn't tell them, volunteer, any of that. There's no mention of the boys going over and talking with None. John
1: Tree. That's the other big omission. There's yeah. no
0: mention of the threat yeah. to his life. All of those things that are pivotal in the case that they make um, for the, it? Anyway, so when they find... The detectives find without any assistance from the owner of the storage space who went unpaid, um, they find it one of the detectives says that when they find the found the car, he kissed his partner on the cheek. Mm-hmm. He was so happy about it. Mm-hmm. And my mind went immediately to, oh, this is straight washing again.
1: The, <laughs> the, Do you really the, think the it reason was? The I have I no know. idea. I don't But, know. They,
0: but they even... They couldn't even give the police credit for actually finding this it's just, from if the tip that, from that the That was father. what I
1: thought. I thought if I had been involved in this investigation, I would be so furious about this show. You know, but there are five seasons of this show. And let me tell you something. With a shitty true crime show, that's a lifetime. For, for a show. like yeah. These shows usually last one to two seasons, and then you can tell. I was like, well, that didn't work. We're going we're gonna to retool that. There are five seasons of The Perfect Murder, and they are just a bullshit factory. This, like, is, this is just... just like,
0: this is two that we've watched on there, and this is yeah. just crap. Yeah. I mean, it, was, it bore no resemblance. I'm not saying that Dateline is necessarily the authority, but they actually interviewed the police. They were actual characters. There was actually, he talked to his wife. She actually told the story of driving the children over there. The boys actually spoke to the camera. They were the actual people. I I don't think that Dateline, could, however important they are, could coerce those people into lying about Gavin's death.
1: This is what Dateline will do, and I think you're correct. I don't think they coerce people into lying. I think they um, emotionally manipulate their audience with a selective inclusion Yes. But I do think if they're given the time, and sometimes I don't like when they take two hours to tell a story from a viewer's perspective, but when they have that amount of time, they are very neutral and they are very balanced. And they do. They will talk to whoever will talk to them. And they'll often be clear, this person wouldn't talk to us, but they will go to the jail and they will talk to the convicted or they will talk to the accused. They'll also talk to the defense and the prosecution and they will present most arguments simultaneously. Like I think the strategy for them is they want to build up suspense because there's usually always a verdict. That's why you like Dateline because there's always closure. I like the closure. But um, all about closure. Babe. Using reenactments, which I hate already, and you love to make fun of. I just think they're hysterical. But using those to tell an alternate version of a real case while you're pretending to be a true crime show—that's pretty fucking shitty. I'm sorry. I, I don't. That's I over the line for me. I just think
0: it really pushes it up past the line. Like, yeah. I just think if they said based on true events or something, but this is not a true crime show. This is a dramatization. Yeah. Like, which. There may be you can make a case for, but yeah. but to believe that to present this as though it was true crime is nonsense. Yeah, I mean at least in these two particular instances, but this is such a random sampling mm-hmm. that I can't really think that it's not pretty. Um, it's it's kind of an indictment of their it's methods. an indictment of the
1: show. It's an indictment of the show. Okay. We're taking a break from true crime next week, which is usually what we do. We do one week on on, one week off. Um our episode is well, entitled
0: On the Show. We never really take a break from
1: true crime. That's very true. Let's
0: not let's not get ourselves
1: here. Our episode is entitled Say Gay. Gay, 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 gay,
0: gay, gay. Gay, 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 gay.
1: Um, You've been living under a rock. If you weren't aware that there's a raft of anti-gay, don't-say-gay laws circulating through legislatures throughout the country. One just passed in Florida. I think another one is set to pass in Texas, if it hasn't already. Um, we are going to hit back by talking about our favorite gay movies, TV shows, and books, the ones that impacted us the most. At least. At least. And we're going to talk about that next week here on TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric shaw And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And
0: Eric. Thanks.
1: This is TDPS.